to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. My name is Anand Upadhyay, and thanks for joining us. Today's episode is with Joey Sieber, the CEO of Level Legal, a Dallas-based next-generation law company that bills itself as, quote, problem solvers for the legal industry. From e-discovery to investigations to regulatory matters, Level Legal takes on many tasks that can't be done as effectively or efficiently at traditional law firms. In this episode, Joey talks about building a company in the depths of the Great Recession, large early clients opting to use Level Legal over traditional law firms, and all of the cultural and efficiency-based decisions he and his partners made in the early days. I think you'll find Level Legal intriguing because it represents a different, arguably better way to do certain types of legal work. Joey is an experienced attorney who realized that he could do certain legal work more, quote, efficiently and more cost-effectively than the incumbent players. Could businesses like Level Legal represent the diversified future of how legal work is completed in the United States? As always, if you like our discussion, please rate us on Apple Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the conversation. Joey, thank you so much for joining me on the Modern Lawyer Podcast. It is uh, an honor and a pleasure to have you on. Thank you very much. I'm very glad to be here. So, Joey, uh, a lot of our um, uh, listeners uh, likely already have heard of Level Legal, maybe understand the work uh, that you do, but it's a fascinating story. And you are you know, the founder of this organization. And I'd love for you to first introduce yourself and then tell us what Level Legal does and its kind of unique niche in, in this kind of broader legal industry. Sure. Thank you. Um, well, I'm Joey Sieber, CEO of Level Legal. Level Legal started 12 years ago, in fact, on Inauguration Day, 2009, 12 years ago, in the depths of the Great Recession, if you kind of think about that. You know, we had the election uh, in the fall and then inauguration. And then I think the market low, the stock market low was that next March. So if you can kind of think back 12 years, that was a really tough time. And that's when we started. And so we were we were born of adversity. Those times were were not even bad. They were like panic. Yeah. Yeah. So what did we do? We started a new business. (laughs) Why not? But uh, we, we are. Level Legal today is a modern law company, and we have a singular focus, and that is giving our legal and corporate customers the best possible solutions, simply, efficiently, and for the best value to the business bottom line. So we're making bringing order from chaos of data in litigation and compliance, second requests, investigations privacy arena. There's a lot around privacy compliance these days. So that's our niche. We are in Texas. Our We are based, our, uh, that's a pre-COVID, that's actually a pre-COVID uh, description. Our offices, our vast offices that are unoccupied are in Dallas, Texas. And we are a distributed workforce now, uh, really with people working from all over the country. Back Back when we did gather to work together in the same place, we worked out of offices in Dallas. Talk us through the origin story. I mean, you you practice law. You've been in yeah. the trenches. You've billed hours. You've seen the yeah. good 
and maybe a little bit things that are needs improvement, right? In that category. Talk to us about uh, your practice early on and the things that you learned in that practice that gave you the, you know, frankly, the bravery to even start a company like Level Legal in the midst of a just a disastrous economic situation. Yeah. So uh, I practiced law for for about five years and then had several other kind of entrepreneurial ventures and then did a bit of public service here in my home hometown of Tyler, Texas. I served as mayor three two-year terms and was term limited. And then my partners will continue to practice law, my business partners, and found an opportunity back. Now, this is, you know, it, again, it's hard to remember like pre-iPhone. This is this, a similar comparison to say, okay, if you remember pre legal services company, ALSP, LPO, however you want to put it, back, so we'll talk about the early 2000s. My business partners were practicing in a a law firm that was doing a lot of IP work in the Eastern District of Texas. And they put together a small group of attorneys, and those attorneys were doing document review for production and discovery in IP cases. And it was the alternative to the larger more expensive law firm that was handling the uh, kind of lead counsel for the technology clients. So then we spun out level two review at the time, because all we did is document review. We spun that out of the law firm. And, you know, I, as we were, as we were (laughs) thinking of the idea, which we thought was original at the time, you know, you would Google, you could literally Google for legal document review and de novo would come up and that was it. So all, all of the hits would come up in one page. And so w- what, what brought us to this? Well, there's inefficiency in the traditional legal model. We had p- perfectly uh, proficient attorneys. In fact, we got very good attorneys at that time to work on a contract basis and to perform this very specific function. It just did not need to be done within the lead counsel's law firm. And so that was the beginning of thinking differently about legal services. And so, so you said there that, um, you know, th- this isn't something that could have been done, or I guess could have been done efficiently or profitably in, in the lead counsel's firm. I mean, in, in, in a sense, were you sitting here thinking, wow, for me to be able to provide these services, I can't do this in the law firm model. I need to create a new type of business entity. They yes. We actually were doing it within in the law firm model, but it was a smaller law firm. It's not the not the larger traditional lead counsel law firm model. But we did think on it at that time. I think there's opportunity here yeah. to be providing a different type of service. We get up every day. We used to say at that time we get up every day to review documents. It's not something that's done in a basement. It's not something that's done, you know, under poor working conditions. It's not something that there are associates, frankly, at the law firm who think, uh, I've got to go, I've got to do go to doc review. We get up to do it. We're excited about it. And and people come to work every day wanting to perform that service. There's a difference there in culture. There's a difference there in in the opportunity. And so that was the way we were looking at it. This should this is an important function. Now it's something that, that, that it's a large volume, uh, but it's it, it's something that's repeatable. It's an important function. It needs to be handled in our professional ways. And as a matter of fact, eventually we got to the point where we could do it really a much better quality, certainly a better value than in the larger kind of lead counsel firms. 
Now, in, in a way, um, this new business that you originated here, it is kind of counter-cyclical, right? Like, I'd imagine in the middle of a recession, more clients are thinking, how can I do this more efficiently? Do I need to pay the top you know, billing rates to get this done? Was that part of the thinking or were you just lucky, right? I mean, uh, did you come into here and say, well, I could do this more efficiently and, well, now we're in the middle of a recession, great for the business? Yeah, I wish I could claim some genius or foresight, but we were lucky. <laughs> I mean, the, the fact is that there were other reasons that we saw the opportunity. It just so happened that the economy cooperated <laughs> at that time. But certainly, I mean, looking for value is 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 nothing new. Certainly, there were there were those, you know, in, in the depths of the Great Recession that there were more perhaps that were looking for that value. But but that continues. And, and, you know, there's a lot of lore, you know, I'm coming to you from Silicon Valley and San Francisco. There's a, a lot of lore out here of all of the companies that started in the Great Recession, right? That yeah. uh, flourishing and all of the the new market conditions and new risk profiles and new everything that came out of there. How was the first early kind of maybe year, six months when you, when you planted the flag and, and said, we're level legal, I guess, at, at that point, level two legal, if, if I have the chronology down, right? We're, le- we're level two legal. We're going to offer this service that was done in the walls of a law firm before, but we're going to do it better and more efficiently and differently. How did that, how'd that go right early on? The growth was explosive. Uh, we, started with, <laughs> we started with one existing client and one project. And the goal at that point in time was we'd like to be doing two projects at a time for that one client. And then we'd like to grow the numbers of clients. We, we quickly grew, grew out of the existing space that we had and then expansion space. At, at that time, we were working still in East Texas, uh, in the Eastern District in Tyler, Texas, where I still have my home. And we had this space for about 30 lawyers. And at that time, we were recruiting lawyers to East Texas and for a short bit, even paying their their living expenses for them to come so that we could hear. It was very quickly, you know, as we expanded that we needed to be in a population center. And within about a year, uh, we found some space in Dallas-Fort Worth area so we could draw upon a much greater population of attorneys. This may be an obvious question, but why, um, or I should say, how did you grow that fast, right? What was the market demand? You know, why why was this uh, new business that you created such a hit? Right, uh, right away. Well, again, we had the, you know, whether it's good fortune or foresight, <laughs> good fortune that the large technology client that we were working for was very litigious at, at the time, um, and they had larger projects, and we we got tested at several points, like you know, can you double in ten days? Uh, basically, not, they didn't put it that way, but when we were hearing, it was like, okay, we've got thirty, and we need thirty more, and that has to be done in ten days, and that's when we opened our office in in the Dallas area, we had already been looking for space. We opened in 10 days. That's a story in and of itself, but it involved retaining a lobbyist to get the attention of somebody who could run fiber into our building quickly enough so that we could, so that we could spin it up. <laughs> ultimately, this large tech client was really just looking for greater throughput for document review? They were looking for greater throughput and value. Yeah. Uh, right. We were obviously performing well. I mean, they liked our they liked our work product. But, you know, as one of them put it to me, you know, you guys are still kind of small potatoes. Do you think you can do this? And uh, my partner and I were 
we, you know, we were we were sitting there in a meeting and said, of course we can do that. And then we <laughs> then we got on the plane, scratched our heads, and like, how are we going to do this? So I I I was supposed to drive back to to Tyler about an hour and a half from Dallas that night. I stayed over and leased space the next morning, and we began it again. That's a that's a podcast episode all all in itself, but it was quite an experience. And so. Uh... Are we chronologically, are we in roughly, what, 2010 at this point? We're in March of 2010. March of 2010. And uh, at that point, uh, what services were you offering? Was it pure Docker view? Like, you've got a ton of litigation. We've got some smart people here. We've got smart lawyers who understand how IP works. Give us, give us that. Don't go to the law firm that you're using that's maybe slower, less effective, whatever. Come to us. Was that kind yeah. of... Getting the pitch down. Yeah, I mean, it, it was it was document review and project management, and at that point in time, we were not even providing the data side of it, right? The collection, hosting, and processing, pure review, and we did it really well. I mean, you know, we did it very, very well and very efficiently and cost effectively, and again, not a ton of competitors at the time. So it, it, it you know, it it wasn't a it wasn't a sell against anybody. It was a, it was for the opportunity for good work product and cost effect. And at what point did uh, level legal start to? Well, I guess uh, still level two legal then, right? But at what point yeah. did it grow to cover more functions, right? And what because now you go on uh, the, the level legal website and there's all kinds of things that the company does. At what yep. point do you say, hey, there's opportunity here. We could grow this business. Yeah, th- that opportunity, well, the, chronologically, the next opportunity was still examining documents, but at a, a more substantive level, uh, particularly around compliance. You know, compliance for what? Well, there are... You know, various clients have various agreed orders where, where they have to, and particularly in a an antitrust situation where they need to be self-policing, whether it's a sales team or other teams, the, ways, the way that they're communicating internally, uh, internal investigation. So you know, there are clients that have to certify compliance to their boards uh, on a quarterly basis for, for various functions. And so it was not not reactive in terms of litigation, but proactive in terms of we make sure that we're we're in compliance. So it began to grow, you know, in in the compliance area, investigation area, and then within the last five years or so, particularly with the advent of privacy legislation and requirements, there are those clients who have to certify compliance with the CCPA, for instance. That involves engaging with, you know, we, we worked for a major telecommunications provider. I think there were four thousand employees. They had to you know, that we engaged and performed interviews so that we could complete compliance for CCPA. Uh, so that's one example. So it's 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 gradually grown, I would say in the last five years, broadened uh, to much more than, than kind of the responsive arena of litigation, although that's still, you know, a good part of our business. I bet from your response to my last question, a lot of my listeners know why I had you on. Um, <laughs> you've talked about you've talked about the ccpa <laughs> well no we've talked about the ccpa for sure but it's the whole concept of yeah. law company 
right? The way you frame Google is a law company. It's not a law firm. It's not a um, you know document review company, right? Obviously, yeah. a lot of other stuff. It's a law company. What you do is all types of work in the legal ecosystem. We've had a lot of guests who have talked about this. Meredith Williams Range, who is the chief knowledge officer at Sherman Sterling, talked about this law company idea about how law firms to stay relevant in the future need to become law companies. Yep. You've been talking about this for a long time. You created Level Legal as a law company. And a lot of, again, my listeners are going to know where I'm going with this is, is the future of businesses in legal, performing legal services, the future of law companies? What, what's your take on that? I know that's a kind of a big, broad question, but you know, I almost want to frame this as like a stock market thing. If you're if you're investing in companies right now, do you want to go long on quote law companies, whatever those might be, and shorter on law firms? Would you go long on law firms right now? I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, I no. I mean, think about it. Yeah. First of all, about half of our work comes from good lawyers at great firms yeah. who recommend us to their clients. So. We we work well. We can talk perhaps uh, here about how we work well with those lawyers. Law firms, in and of themselves, I think are losing share. I mean, you know, look at any analysis of the Amlaw 100, 200, pick, pick whatever number. Those at the very top continue to do very well, and those below struggle for share. Share of what? Share of the legal market. So. I would just answer the question in the macro, and in the macro, the worldwide legal market is X billion dollars. Who is grabbing that share? It is alternative provider, however you want to categorize that, whether that includes the big four or legal process outsources or uh, ALSPs or law companies. I mean, we've got, uh, we've got a lot of terms for them, but Fair. So to answer your question, very bullish on the opportunity in legal for providers who are not law firms. Yes. A lot to, lot to discuss there. First place my mind goes is this uh, idea that you and I talked about uh, yesterday in preparation for this discussion, and that is how law firms have fared with their kind of internal technology and innovation mm-hmm companies like company within a firm. And um, you had a really good example of, you know, certainly maybe examples of ways in which they worked, but you had a really good example uh, that we talked about yesterday about a way in which that may not work. And I want to get into the cultural elements of it, but I want you to speak to, um, you know, how maybe that has not worked in the past. And, And by that, I mean, you know, law firms trying to create homegrown tech companies or homegrown law companies within their their walls. Listen, I could speak to this from my own experience. We did not talk about this part yesterday. But one of the reasons that we left the law firm where we were, we're just talking about a handful of attorneys, is because, as an example, our contract lawyers didn't get invited to the Christmas party because the work was viewed differently. Now, abstract up, culturally, the the law firm is much different than the tech startup, the 
company that can move quickly, that can move efficiently, that moves the fastest, that responds quickly. When I say those things, do you think about law firms? Usually not. So there are such huge cultural differences between traditional law firms and law companies who who move quickly, who respond quickly, who are not traditional, I mean, not beholden to shareholders, for instance. So culturally, it's tough. The other thing that we run into with many of the lawyers whom we serve, some in very large law firms who have divisions who are either doing e-discovery or, or doing some of the other type law company work is they have to get in line and they're internally not treated as a customer. So we can move much more quickly than their own business unit can even for them. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Um, you and I spoke about a bit about the billable hour and uh, how that might culturally uh, affect a lot of what we're talking about right here, right? I mean, the the, the billable hour argument, I, I had a, a, a AGC from Microsoft on this podcast maybe two seasons ago. And yep. for a guy named Jason Barnwell, brilliant. Um, he referred to the billable hour as a, quote, shackle on innovation. <laughs> This is Microsoft. Yep. This isn't a small company, you know, somewhere, right? Trying to yep. be, you know, trying to trying to be provocative. This is Microsoft. You know, they've got 25 Amlaw 100 firms on their, you know, that they've retained. You talk about how culturally law companies, and I'm going to use your term here, law companies, are just different and, and in some ways better than law firms. Can you drill down on that a bit? And don't pull any punches because I assure you that law firms themselves, which represent your client base to some extent, my, you know, case text client base, they're saying the same thing. They're ringing, yeah. they're, they're, they're sounding the alarms louder than you and I can imagine. Yeah. But what is that cultural divide? And, and is, it, is the billable hour the cause or a symptom? Good question, and I don't know the answer to that specific question, but the law, the billable hour is the bane of the lawyer's existence, and it has been for, I mean, I stopped the traditional practice of law 25 years ago, <laughs> okay? I practiced for five and stopped the traditional practice 25, and 25 years ago, it's the billable hour, the billable hour, and it 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 certainly contributed to, to my dissatisfaction with the traditional practice of law. So you're right. We, I don't know a lawyer that loves it. The problem is that it's become the the default standard by which we are billing and measuring what we're doing. So I but I think, you know, so lawyers have been predicting or hope, hoping and predicting for the end of the billable hour for a long time. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, that's going to happen this year. But I do think as there are companies like ours who um, are working to be innovative in legal. That there will be alternatives. For instance, um, I was on a I was on a, on a on a panel this morning discussing standardization and alternative billing arrangements measurement, and we 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 talked about the the billable hour, and we talked about the concept of a SKU that is a bundle of services. A SKU is you know what we use in re, what is used in retail to talk about a particular product. So if you think about a bundle of legal services as a SKU, what would you pay for that? Would you do that as opposed to the billable hour? What I have found, so so I think that concept has some merit. 
but it's going to take innovative parties on both sides. I mean, one of the frustrations as a as a as a legal service provider, not a law firm, that we face is we propose alternative fee arrangements all the time, and oftentimes it's the client who says they want it, but they have difficulty getting their head around it because what they know is the billable hour, and so they immediately calculate. What does that mean in terms of billable hour? Because that's the default measurement that everybody is using. And we have to think about legal services in terms of the value that you're receiving for your, your dollars. And is that good value? So it, it, it's, it, it's challenging thinking on both ends. I think, I think oftentimes the law firms get a bad rap because you know the billable hour, billable hour, billable hour, oftentimes those who are providers propose alternatives. But it's the consumer that then goes back to the billable hour. But I do think that it's moving as we begin to offer alternative providers and bundles of services. I think it's moving. There are some innovative lawyers, even with larger firms. You know, I can think of one, you know, on the West Coast. And he and his team, they have about 10, they have about 10 big cases at any one time in IP. And and they they charge a flat fee per month. It's usually about a two-year cycle, and they do everything. It's mm. all included. That's what you pay us. You don't get a bill, you don't get a charge for a billable hour. You Those are the kinds of thinking that that's, I think it's yeah. Yeah, yeah. That that sounds like a like a subscription service or something, right? Yeah. Like we'll we'll handle all of your uh, work on this case for X amount a month. It's predictable, it's kind of in a unit. That's interesting. I want to go back to your, uh, you know, the skew uh, analogy or metaphor explanation, because I think some of my listeners might not uh, understand exactly what you mean by that, right? Skew, you're referring to this retail, you know, this retail concept. I know, uh, you know skew as a stock keeping unit, right? And I know that no. I had a, a high school job at Office Max uh, <laughs> a long, long time ago, right? So it's a stock keeping unit. When you're referring to SKU-based legal work or SKU-based billing, whatever you said, what do you mean by that? Um, and and you know, what, what could be the new world of kind of SKU-based legal arrangements and how might that be win-win? Yeah, so I, I'll, I'll go back to the example I just used. I don't literally mean a stock-keeping user. That's a, those are goods. Right. But, 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 but when you think about services, here is the bundle yeah. that I will that I will give you that I, this is, these are the services that I will give you. And this is what you will pay me for it. We'll do it really well. We'll have, we'll, you know, we'll agree upon what those standards are. And, and, but this is what you'll pay me for it. So in the example that I just used, we're talking about very complex patent litigation, IP litigation matters for a, for a, you know, top, you know, MLAW 50 firm. And they, they will handle all of it. This, we're going to handle this for X dollars per month based upon you know, the complexity of the matter. So we, we think about it in terms of a bundle of services, just like you would have a case of Coca-Cola, <laughs> this bundle of services, and this is what you'll pay me. And, and these are the standards, performance measures that we'll, that we'll agree upon. It's predictable. You can get the value. You can, I mean, you'll, you'll determine whether you're getting the value. And there's not that mystery at the end of the month. Oh man, I didn't realize it was going to be this many hours. I didn't. Oh yeah, that phone call cost me, you know, two hundred bucks or whatever it is. That's what that's what we're talking about. Now uh, that presumes 
and, and you know, you're, you're far more sophisticated about these, these business models than I am, but, you know, for kind of my perspective, that presumes a couple of things, right? That presumes one, that the law firm handling this kind of complex, maybe unpredictable work has the data and the knowledge to properly price it, right? We've had, you know, I had a discussion with uh, Toby Brown from Perkins Coie about yep. this. Yep. It, you know, which is tricky, right? Like, how do you price it? I mean, if it's, you know, you have thousands slip and fall cases, okay, that's one thing to price. But IP and patent, as you well know, is really, really sophisticated, tricky, unpredictable stuff, novel oftentimes. And then on the other side, you have a client who um, maybe will feel really good if they get a quote good deal, right? If they if they if the work done and the package provided this this case of Coca Cola is at a discount than what they would have bought retail. But if it's not, then they don't like it as much, right? If yeah. ultimately. Uh, the firm, Perkins Coie or whatever other, you know, pr- prestigious, prominent AMLAW firm ends up doing the work. And in this skew-based flat fee kind of bill, uh, billing arrangement, if they run the numbers, they realize that they actually realized $1,400 an hour, right, net across the, the engagement. All of a sudden, the client's not too happy, right? Like, so how do we, how do we navigate uh, these two parts of this, uh, this structure, right? On one hand, the firm doesn't know how to price this or maybe level legal doesn't know how to price this. On the other hand, if the client has to pay quote more for it, they're not, they're not happy because then they, they may say, well, I wish I would have just paid your hourly rate. Yeah. Well, that has to be, that, that's, that, that's the relationship of trust, right? That's yeah. the relationship of trust that's built over time, just like just as in the hourly relationship. I mean, you 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 could have the same you could have the same questions about a bill when you're trusting the attorney to you know, record the time that is spent, right? So you've got to build that. You've got to build. There has to be a trusting relationship, and it's the concept of what it, the value for what I'm paying. Again, the kind of thinking that you're describing is an is an hourly type thinking, right? It's an hourly type thinking. So you have to build that trust and you've got to show the data. So if the law firm or the provider has the appropriate data, say this is this is what we estimate, this is the level of effort that we estimate is required and this is why it costs this much. And if we guess wrong, it's on us, right? If we guess wrong, it's on us. Culturally, is that changing? Do you, you know, based on your 25 years of experience in this post post practice is this cha- are we on the right track please give me some good news here <laughs> oh it's changing it's changing yeah it's changing it's changing slowly in some places and more rapidly at others but it's definitely changing you know we have we have a number of clients where we are on kind of we don't we don't actually literally call it skew based but we have a bundle of services that we are selling on a monthly basis or you know uh, a, a group of task basis so um, yeah, it's changing. The appetite just depends upon the, the the individuals at at the companies or at the firms, and what how broadly they want to think. You know, one of the most interesting developments in legal over the last few years was this Amazon IP accelerator, which we touched yeah. on. Yeah. And you know, I wonder whether it it like fits into this analysis, right? That this this 
case of Coca-Cola or kind of skew-based approach to, to, to this. It also, I wonder, there's a, there's a question, maybe uh, does it dovetail with the idea that market share is slowly going to be pulled from law firms? I mean, when Amazon does something, even if it is an accelerator in an experimental way, boy, you have to put your pencils down and listen, right? Like, right. what is, uh, first of all, could you just give us a sense of, you know, a big picture of what this mm-hmm. Amazon IP accelerator is and to what extent it, it fits with uh, your vision of where things are going or maybe maybe just not? Yeah, I will do an inadequate job of describing the IP accelerator, but I'll give it a shot. And that is the way I see it is that Amazon is providing services for its customers. So those who sell through Amazon. So if you're an Amazon vendor, um, you also have IP related issues. And Amazon then has a panel of attorneys that are that they will help uh, with those with those issues for for Amazon's customers. Think about that as a, as a re, you know think about that dynamic right. It's you're using Amazon services to sell your goods, and Amazon is then providing services that you need as a benefit or at a reduced cost. So you're in the ecosystem, and Amazon's controlling that ecosystem. Right. So they're thinking about the needs of their customers or their distributors that are using their services. And so then you have the implication then of AWS and it's a web, literal web of services uh, in a different way. And so that's what we, that's what I'm paying attention to. Analogize to our business, you know, we're thinking about our customer's customer, our customer's needs. Who are our Customers. Notice, I'm not saying clients. We're we're working to think of our customers as customers in a consumer-driven society. Who are our customers? Well, our customer is. I could I could on one level think of them as a law department, but the law department is serving the company. The law department thinks of its business units as clients. I want to serve my customer's customer, my client's client. How can we help drive the bottom line of the business through legal? How do we demonstrate that what we do is not just a cost, but it, it, but it helps the bottom line? Those are the ways that we like to think so that we can then say, look, we, we're not just a cost center. We, we, we can help improve your bottom line. How, how, how can we think about our services? in that way. That's the inspiration I get from Amazon thinking differently is thinking about my customer's customer. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Um, that very much segues into um, you know something that you you've mentioned and, and that is something that's really talked about a lot in, in our circles and that is the big scary rise of the big four, right? You know, uh, all these all these big accounting and auditing firms are going to come in and and decimate yeah. the you know, AM law AM law two hundred, right? It's been it's been talked about for many 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 years, hasn't come to mm-hmm. fruition. But you are talking about things in terms of a kind of holistic bottom line, right? How do I 
go in with my services and improve my clients' clients' bottom line. I think a lot of big companies out there, maybe if, if asked, would say, I don't know that a lot of law firms are thinking like that, right? Law firms are thinking a lot more in terms of this transactional relationship, even if it's in litigation, right? You have a problem. I have a set of tools. Here are my solutions and we're done, right? Another thing that you've said is that, you know, Ernst & Young and, and Deloitte and all these other groups, all these other you know, multinational massive companies, they have a lot of credibility in the boardroom, right? So their built-in advantages coming in and trying to do law company work, right? Whether that is competitive with law firms or, you know, created out of whole cloth is, one, they've got an accounting and auditing mindset, right? They come in thinking about efficiencies and process and they've done it globally and they've got insane scale. And then also, if you hire them, you're not going to get a slap on the wrist in the boardroom. They say, all right, maybe it's time to hire Deloitte. Okay. What's your take on that? And am I painting a scarier picture of impending doom here? Impending doom for whom? Yeah, great question. Great question. Uh, Impending doom for for the AMLAW. Yeah. So I think think it's a false dichotomy. I mean, I think, first of all, I think you're exactly right. The big four make no secret of their intent to move into legal. We talk about, at the at the top of the podcast, we talk about global legal share. The big four has said, we're coming after you. And yes. they are gaining share. So they're the largest law firms in the world that aren't law firms, the collections of lawyers uh, at the big four. But you, but you think about big four and big law, I think of them similarly. Their rate and task-based. And, and really the, <laughs> the, the goal is how long can I, how long can I stay there? How, how can I get in and how long can I stay? Okay. Now we're, we're, we're speaking in broad strokes <laughs> with a very broad brush here. What I, where I think the future is, is, is how do we, who, who, who can move the fastest? Who can respond the quickest? Who's not beholden to the shareholder or the partner? Who can pivot quickly? Who's been adding value in the last decade? Those are the legal service providers, the alternative legal service providers. I like where we are. I think the big four is late, and I think the the big law is slow. <laughs> we, we, I'm, I'm really happy with the way that we're positioned to take advantage of, again, thinking about the consumer, the customer, um, how do we provide services with a consumer mindset as opposed to the hourly mindset rate and task? How do we how do we help the consumer accomplish what they need? Now, you're right. The big four, they they have a great brand, they provide great service, they're board safe, um, and they've and and they've decided that they wanted to move, move into legal and they're and they're successful in it. Uh, I think there's room for lots of players in legal. That's my point. So the, the next couple of questions I have are all kind of forward-looking, futuristic, right? First of all, what is next for Level Legal, right? What do the next 10 years look like? Or another way to ask the question is, where is Level Legal going to be in 10 years? What kind of services are you all going to provide? Maybe that we haven't even thought of yet uh, associated with legislation or problems that we can't even get Yeah, have. yeah. Great question. Thanks for the opportunity. One of the shorthand ways we say this about our future is that uh, compliance is 
the next e-discovery. So uh, there's a company called OneTrust, for instance, who we've recently become partners with. And OneTrust provides compliance services. So we, 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 you know, we've mentioned uh, CCPA. There are other uh, state privacy laws which companies must comply with. There's no shortage of requirements for compliance if you're running a company of any size. One trust has developed a set of tools that help assist in that compliance. Uh, we believe that there is an opportunity to wrap services around those tools and deliver to clients. Again, looking at the bottom line, the problem of, of the multitude of uh, compliance <laughs> Um, opportunities <laughs> that there are, and so that's going to be that's going to be big for us. Again, using our using our attorneys to provide valuable services in those areas. Um, I also yeah because law firms just haven't situated themselves business model wise shrewdly in order to uh, take on this compliance work. Right, like another way to put it is like why is level legal just better at handling some flavors of compliance work than law firms? You know, gosh, I don't know. I, w- I don't want to speak to that. I'm not sure. I don't know of law firms who are approaching it this way. Certainly, they would be capable. The cost structures are different. Expectations are different. Certainly, lots of capable people to, to perform these services, and I'm not aware of any that are thinking of them in these ways. Again, this is a more proactive opportunity than it is responsive. Um, there's a way, you know, there these tools help you get ahead of what the requirements are to, to stay in compliance. So um, I think it would be analogous to, you know, law firms who have an ERISA compliance group or practice. These are these are services that can be offered on a subscription basis or on a regular basis or an obscure bundled basis. So it's thinking about those in different ways. Yeah, that, that's, that's fascinating. I mean, it, it's almost thinking, uh, well, it is thinking about this in you know, in terms of and from the perspective of a product company, right? You're creating products to be able to uh, address things as opposed to a reactive services company. Uh, that that and that structure in and of itself is interesting. Uh, I've got one last question for you here, uh, Joey, and and this is a, the kind of big prediction question that I frequently ask on this podcast. And it could be about some of the things we've talked about today. It could be something totally, totally different. It could be, you know, something uh, that you discussed in your panel earlier today. But it is, where is um, the legal industry going to be? I mean, make a big, bold prediction as to where the legal industry is going to be in 20 years, right? Uh, In 20 years from now, what are some things that uh, will be somewhat commonplace to an attorney coming out of law school and into practice, but absolutely mind-blowing for folks like you and I um, who are maybe at the tail end of our careers or whatever, mm. maybe 20 years. What do you see as, as uh, a major sweeping kind of headline that we're all going to experience in 20 years? You know, I'm reminded of um, Bill Gates' book, which is escaping me now that he wrote in uh, in the 90s. I remember listening to it on literally on cassette tape. And he said that we always overestimate the change that's going to happen in five years, and we underestimate the change that's going to happen in, I don't know if he said 10 or 20. And so to think about a prediction in 20 years, I, you know, um, we would we might make a big, bold prediction 
that uh, doesn't end up being a big bold prediction. I'm saying all this to stall because I'm not sure exactly what that prediction would be. I I, I think here here's what I think that is not not big and bold, but it is, and that is the those who are providing your services will are going to look much different than they did than they do today. We can't say that. We can't say that now, looking backward 20 or 25 years. There, as a share of the market, you know, there are providers like us and providers like the big four and alternative providers. But the bulk of the market is still the law firm uh, in the market that we're talking about. I don't think that's going to be the case 20 years from now. And I think there will be players in categories that we've not even thought of. And, and you know, the bold prediction is that, that maybe they'll have – Maybe they'll have 50% of their global legal market as opposed to, you know, single digits or 10. I'm, I'm, it is. Like, I'm very I'm fascinated by that. Um, I think, you know, very likely in the next 20 years, to your point and to your prediction, I'm, you know, I'm predicting this kind of piggybacking on your prediction. But, you know, you're going to have data science firms catering to legal. And... Uh, some, you know, you mentioned a case of Coca-Cola, you know, Coca-Cola is going to say, hey, we, we have this legal data issue. And they don't think of calling, you know, Amlaw firm. They don't even think about it. They call XYZ company, the big, you know, the big company that just nailed the market on legal data science, <laughs> whatever that even yeah. means. Whatever yeah. that means. So that, that's, that, that's fascinating. That's fascinating. Joey, uh, I've taken enough of your time. Let's wrap up here. I really appreciate you coming on and sharing this really fresh perspective with us. As uh, a lot of my listeners know, I am really fascinated with folks like you who are doing, uh, and, and you know, look, you have been doing this for a while. You, you, you've been uh, kind of approaching the legal industry with the same vision for a while. It's just becoming more and more clear that your vision is correct, I think. <laughs> and um, and and that the way that you're providing services is, uh, a, a, you know, a big part of where the industry is moving. So I really appreciate you, yeah. you sharing your perspective with me. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I tell you, it's it's a lot of fun because things are moving quickly. And the good thing about it, there are even more opportunities than we can grab. And uh, it's it's exciting. So thanks for the opportunity to discuss it. Thanks for listening to the Modern Lawyer Podcast. We always love hearing from you and we highly value your feedback. Reach out to me at anon at casetext.com, tweet at us with the hashtag modernlawyer and check us out at modernlawyerpodcast.com. We hope you join us for our next episode. Special thanks to the Case Text team as well as our audio engineer, Brian Becker. See you soon.